Raw, uncut, and unapologetic. Welcome to Men Talking Mindfulness with your hosts, John McCaskill and Will Schneider. Here we focus on helping men and those with men in their lives solve some of life's complex challenges through understanding the practices of mindfulness and how they can help. Each episode is in an environment free of judgment and criticism with a focus on authenticity and inner peace. Let's dig in. John and I are so grateful you're all here. Thank you for tuning in to the Men Talking Mindfulness podcast. I'm Will Schneider, one of your hosts, uh, with my brother from another mother over there in Colorado Springs, my co-host and great friend, John McCaskill. Today, we are joined by Aaron Hale, and a truly extraordinarily extraordinary man with an incredibly inspiring story about what it takes to overcome adversity. Check this guy out. Aaron... Aaron Hale uh, started his military career as a chief in the U.S. Navy. A chef. What's that? Chef. A chef. Fuck. When I say, okay, chef. <laughs> yes. Okay. I'll, I'll start again, right? <laughs> so Aaron Hale, you just started as a chief. That's amazing, Aaron. Just kidding. All right. Aaron Hale started his military career as a chef in the U.S. In the US Navy, which according to John is one of the few jobs he just do not mess with in the Navy unless you want your, unless you want your food messed with. Uh, later, Aaron wanted to be in a more active role and he joined the army to be an EOD technician. It was during this role that he was permanently blinded by an IED while on deployment in Afghanistan. A few years later, as a civilian, Aaron lost 100% of his hearing due to a bacterial meningitis infection. Most people would have tapped out by, uh, by then, but not Aaron. He has become an ultra-endurance athlete, competing in the Badwater 135. He's a motivational speaker, husband, father of three, founder of the EOD Fudge, uh, EOD in this case standing for Extraordinary, or extra, extraordinary Delights, and he's also a podcaster. I feel I have uh, I feel I have given enough uh, given away enough about Aaron's incredibly inspiring story. So we are honored to uh, have this incredible man joining us today. Before we dive into Aaron's story, I just want to say hello to John and thank Aaron for joining our podcast today. John, great to see you. Aaron, we are honored to have you here with us today. Thank you. Well, thanks for that introduction, John. Thank you very much for both of you for uh, inviting me on. Yeah, it's going to be a blast. Uh, we, we really look forward to this conversation. And before we get into that, I just got a couple of announcements. You know, for for our audience, you know, thank you for support, supporting our show and and for buying our merch. We have those those shirts, hats, coffee mugs, tumblers, and more. If you want to check that out, check out mentalkingmindfulness.com forward slash shop. And then, hey, we've got our next retreat set up. It's going to be May 16th through the 19th out here in Colorado Springs at the beautiful Glen Erie Castle. So save the date, May 16th through the 19th. Registration opens next week. And then lastly, you know, subscribe to our social media channels. We're on TikTok, we're on IG, we're on YouTube, all the things. Or as my, my little boy says, because he can't quite pronounce the TH sound yet, all the stings. So join us on all the stings. All right. So before one more thing before we get into our, our questions with Aaron, we as, as you might know from joining us on the show before, we'd like to start the show with a mindfulness practice. And then we'd like to wrap up the show with a mindfulness practice. 
practice. The, the opening practice is just as much for our audience as it is for us or just as much for us as, as it is for our audience just to get us centered and ready for the conversation. So that said, if you're listening live or if you're watching, hey, take a breath and let's get comfortable and do a few breaths together. Begin by exhaling, holding empty at the bottom. Nice deep breath in. All the way, hold at the top and relax. Emptying all the way out and holding empty at the bottom. Deep breath in. Noticing the sensation of that breath in. Hold at the top and relax. Holding empty and one more. Deep breath in. Starting from the belly into the chest. Hold at the top and relax. All right, and now start to bring some movement back in your bodies, maybe rolling your shoulders, your fingers, moving your neck around a little bit. And now let's let's get in this conversation with Aaron. And before we hit record here, Will and I were just going through all the technological advancements that make this even possible for Aaron. As we said in the in the beginning, he is 100% blind, 100% deaf, yet he can hear us through technology, Bluetooth that is wired in through a magnet and an implant. Uh, I mean, it's incredible what, he, what he's got going on there. Um, so, Aaron, thanks for being here with us today, and it's so great to have you. Um, let's start off with this. Um, let's get a little bit more background into who Aaron Hale is, the foundation of who you are, like maybe from your childhood through your joining the Navy originally, and then how that came to your joining the army and then take us up to the, the point where you encountered that IED that changed your life. Absolutely. Uh, again, thanks guys uh, for having me on. I love the show and being a foodie, um, I love the contrast, you know, Navy SEAL and yoga instructor. <laughs> it's like, the, it's like the sweet and the salty. Who's, who's the salt? <laughs> I've got, it says salty on my shirt. <laughs> All right. What is sweet and salty equals savory, right? Right. I love it. <laughs> uh, oh, so I grew up, um, I come, I call myself the, uh, all American slacker. <laughs> uh, I had enough natural ability, talent, you know, and BS to get by without having to do a whole lot of hard work, right? A whole lot of effort. And of course, when I got to college, uh, that plan blew up. <laughs> so um, after wasting uh, tuition, um, I just I, I realized that I needed you know, to get you know, some ambition, goals. You know, work ethic, all those in, uh, internal intrinsic values. Uh, I needed um, I needed to set my life on the right course. So um, I also needed to get that tuition money back if I wasn't going to have an education. So um, I joined the Navy, and at the time, because I loved to cook, I've been cooking since I could reach over the counter. Uh, I wanted to be a chef. I was going to go to culinary school, and I would use the GI Bill to do it. And I just 
always was fascinated with the Navy touring around uh, the world, seeing foreign countries because I love to travel and, of course, cuisine. So um, I figured if I was going to go to school to be a chef after the military, might as well join as a cook. Uh, So I joined as a mess management specialist. Uh, Of course, they changed that to culinary specialist because the mismanagement specialist was just too much. It was, it was a mouthful. Sure. Uh, especially when you add it to the rest of the full Navy titles, which can fill a page. Petty <laughs> uh, officer, second class, a listed surface warfare qualified. Right. <laughs> um, but, uh, uh I, I, I really very quickly learned to love um, being in uniform, being in the Navy service. I got all of those those values uh, that I was looking for, and I was growing internally as, as a person, as an individual. But I accidentally picked up all those external values, like the, the teamwork and the um, self-service leadership and um, dedication to the mission and duty. I mean, uh, I just, I love being in service. I love being at sea. I was stationed in Italy for four years. Uh, wow. And um, I was at uh, Naples, Capodacino, and, and Gaeta. But for my second duty station, uh, I, I was assigned as a personal chef to the commander of the Sixth Fleet, three-star admiral. And uh, hardship duty, it was not... <laughs> But uh, I joined in 99, and just a few short years later, of course, we're in two different wars. And even though I was was in the military, and I just was watching uh, the the war, I was watching Iraq and Afghanistan happen through the television. And because I I gained uh, and grown as a person, as a sailor, as a service member, I knew that I could, I could play a, you know, a deeper, better role. My skills, my abilities, my talents could be put to better use. And I volunteered to become an uh, individual augmentee for my first duties. For my first deployment, I was still Navy cook, but I was now cooking um, in a chow hall in Afghanistan. So I went from, you know, the admiral's, uh, admiral and his top staff, maybe 35, 40 total, to four, 500 uh, ISAF, NATO troops. And it was Portuguese, Spanish, Americans, Canadians, whomever came through the base. And just so happens we were over by Herat, where the Italian headquarters was, and we had two platoons of Italian special forces right on the base with us. I got to practice my Italian nice. that I learned. I got to cook, bring them into my kitchen and cook with them. It was it was pretty funny getting to speak Italian in Afghanistan. <laughs> uh, um, that's when I met some EOD techs. And... I was instantly hooked. I mean, these guys were doing like maintenance checks one day and had all their gear out of their truck dumped out. It was like a cool guy garage sale. Um, and I had 
um, suits and robots and all these other things. And I just took up a conversation with them and learned about their you know, first responder duty on the battlefield. They run into the danger when everybody else is running out. And they, they're the ones that suit up and that bouncer and make that long walk. And it's a technically difficult job. And the tight-knit brotherhood. And John, I know you don't know what it means. It's it's like fraternity inside the right. brotherhood. And everything mm. about it said, this is what I need to do. But, of course, the uh, I guess the Navy liked my cooking too much because when I would put in my chit to go from cook to EOD tech, that was denied. Um, this was still 2007, and EOD wasn't a rate at the time. It was a special right. qualification, and I wasn't – they were – CES, Culinary Specialist, was not a source rate, like a job they take they pull from. So um, everything can be wavered. Nobody wants to tell you. <laughs> so uh, when my appointment was up, um, my, when my deployment was up, I, my contract was actually coming to an end. And I just decided that I, I wanted to be an EOD tech more than I wanted to stay a sailor. So I went over to the Army recruiter. And I brought my service record. I got to keep my rank, so I went from petty officer to sergeant. And I just changed mm-hmm. uniforms. And I went to school as an EOD tech. Um, after that, I was, was sent to Fort Drum. And very quickly after that, we went to, we, we deployed to Iraq. And that was in 2010. And then 2011, I had uh, made it to the, the status of team leader. So I was running my own team. And that's, the team leader is the, the guy that actually gets in the suit. Uh, and walks down on an item. So uh, I went back to Afghanistan in 2011, and about eight months into a 12-month rotation, there was an IED that had my name on. Mm. Mm. And and how and the uh, go ahead, sir. Yeah, well, yeah. Walk us through that piece. Like as you're as you're walking up on that IED, what happens? Uh, and then, you know, what happens in the moment and then what happens afterwards? How are mm-hmm. you feeling through all that as well, physically and emotionally? I mean, I know that's a lot to unpack, but yeah, if you could walk us through that. Well, it was literally one of those things. It, 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 I wasn't supposed to be here today type of mm-hmm. things. Right. <laughs> um, it wasn't my AO, my area of operation. I was just on the road at, at the right time. Actually, I'd just gotten back from my two weeks of r and two weeks of leave back in the United States. And it was just about this time of the year I'd, um, I got to see my firstborn turn one. I got to witness the whole family gather together for Thanksgiving dinner. And I love Thanksgiving because for two reasons. One, because you get to gather everybody you love uh, together and, you know, the rest of the family and uh, and talk about what you're most grateful for in this world. And you get to eat like a glutton. Uh, <laughs> you have an excuse. 
but uh, I just got me uh, back into Kandahar. My team picked me up from the airfield. We jumped into a supply a convoy back out to our little command outpost. And uh, I tossed my, my bag in the back over in top of the robot, and we, we headed back. And on the wing, uh, convoy commander called back and said, EOD, there's a, uh, an ID on the side of the road. Could you take a look? Well, we're not QRF. We're really not on duty, but it's 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 war. It's battlefield, and we're the closest. And you know, you don't just say, yeah, "Not my job." You know, <laughs> I'm not on duty, right? Yeah, let QRF suit up and come on out, and you guys can wait for an hour. <laughs> but nope. uh, so so I, uh, I said, of course. And they set up the security cord on. I uh, tossed the bag off the robot, the robot out of the truck. And it found what we'd been always finding for, for eight months straight was just one of those uh, oil jugs, vegetable oil jugs with a nine volt battery, a plywood pressure plate, and mm. some cord to connect it all. Um, the robot took it apart. Uh, but it couldn't get the, uh, the, the jug out of the hard packers, and I wanted to get the evidence so we could send it send it up for evidence. And so it jumped out. I made it about twenty or thirty meters from the original item when a secondary device that hadn't been found yet detonated. Mm-hmm. That that punted me into the air, I landed on my knees and elbows. I was still conscious, but the lights had gone out. And in wow. fact, uh, No, I just said, wow, sorry about that, Aaron. Oh, and, uh, the, the, the lights had gone out, but I was, I was, was awake. I don't know how lucid I was, but the first thing I did was the function check, you know, wiggle the fingers, toes, the, the other extremities, um, and check on everything. And it seemed everything was, more or less in place. So I thought that my helmet had just gotten pushed over my face. Mm-hmm. And um, so I reached up to grab my helmet and it, it was gone. And it had been blasted right off of my head. And so um, that's when I thought, oh man, this is, this is bad. Mm. My first sergeant's going to kill me for losing that. Oh, wow. <laughs> I'm sure that was the least of his concerns. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, my team came and grabbed me, dragged me back to a safe area. Uh, Medevac chopper. We was, the airfield was just down a few miles away still. So the Medevac chopper was there in like 14 minutes. And um, 48 hours, I was at Walter Reed. And doctors were telling me that uh, the blast had cracked my skull. I was leaking spinal fluid right out of my sinuses, right out of my nose. Uh, my, both my eardrums had been perforated and blown out, but I could still, I still had some hearing, relatively decent hearing. Um, but it had uh, taken one eye completely. And the other one 
had a piece of frag gash right across it and it couldn't be saved. Uh, so I was, I was, I was sitting in the hospital bed coming to grips with being in total darkness for the rest of my life. Wow. Yeah. Can you walk us a little bit deeper down that path? Like I'm, I'm you know, the thing of like almost, uh, it's like the dark night of the soul. Like, so what was it like to come to grips that it, or to be, that you're going to be blind? Like I just, I can only imagine what that's like. I'd love to hear your experience and our audience too. Well, you know, it was, it was actually, it was kind of chaotic at the first, at first, uh, at least for me, especially since you know, a major source of information had just been cut off. We get so much of our information from eyesight, right? right. And, yeah. and even my hearing was, was limited. So at that time, and there was doctors and nurses coming and going and uh, tests and surgeries. And my parents and my, the rest of my family came in. It's right on the beltway. So there's all these you know, dignitaries and um, uh, you know, service organizations. Everybody wants to come in and give the, you know, that, you know, the greetings and all that kind of well wishes. And I didn't really have much time to process except in the middle of the night because I also realized that I learned that with 100% blindness, you get the added bonus gift of uh, a sleep disorder. Sure. Because you don't, you can't recycle, you can't reset your circadian rhythm, that internal clock with sunlight. Oh, shit. Yeah, wow. I never even thought about that. Yeah. So, you know, it's it's kind of like having a 26 hour clock where every once in a while you're really out of whack Mm -hmm. um yeah so there are for over a decade now if sometimes i'm wide awake in the middle of the night it feels like the middle of the day and vice versa i'm just Mm -hmm. as a second me during the day but i was there at the hospital lying in bed wide awake at like three in the morning and trying to think of like all those, those, like I call them my, my demons, you know, the, that voice in the back of your head of doubt and fear, anger. I was so pissed off. I was pissed off the whole world, the army, the, you know, the, the convoy I was on the commander, those, the, the, of course the Taliban, uh, my commanders, the president, I was, I was mad at everybody, but I was mostly mad at myself. Mm-hmm. I was so mad at myself. We trained so hard. Why did I do it like I, like I did? We have all the tools at our disposal. We're the greatest fighting force in the world. We're the, we're the EOD. And it was such low tech. It was it's caveman stuff. We did, I did this every day. And um, it got me. But... Those other thoughts, like now that I did this to myself, I failed. So now I have to live as a blind person. I can't be a soldier anymore. I can't be an EOD tech. I can't be a husband or a father. I can't. Mm. Like, I can't, I can't, I can't. Right. And what was the moment where, like, a light went on that said you can? 
if there was, or, or what was that moment, if you can go back? <laughs> well, for one, I've got an incredible family. My mom mm. uh, is an eternal optimist, and our family's been through tragedy before. Uh, my younger brother, who's six years younger than me, had a terrible roadside construction accident. Mm-hmm. He was mm-hmm. working on working, you know, inside the barrels uh, on 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 a freeway, and he's been permanently injured, dam- brain damage, all of that, um, and my mom helped bring my brother back to life. And she comes into my room and Walter Reeves is like, hey, honey, <laughs> just boom, <laughs> sunshine. And I, the first thing I thought was, I am so, so sorry, mom, that I did this to your other son. Oh. And she said, oh, honey, not my first rodeo. And mm. she, set the, she set the tone. And everybody else got gathered around me. I actually had a a friend. Unfortunately, I had a fortunately unfortunately uh, I had a friend in the unit with me. Uh, Sergeant Kyle Vickers was uh, another team leader in my company who had been injured just two weeks before me, and he mm-hmm. came well on in and. Uh, it was so funny because he, he's a hilarious dude, uh, great personality, but you know, you know, he takes like, you know, special forces guys, they're always playing tricks and stuff. And, you know, it's that camaraderie. He comes wheeling in cause he'd lost part of his, he'd lost a foot. Um, he comes wheeling in and he goes, Hey, hell dude, give me your hand. Feel this. <laughs> What? Oh no! <laughs> yeah, where's this going? But he puts exactly. it under his own chin. He puts it under his own chin. He goes, "Feel that," and it's two weeks of growth. <laughs> there's there's a bunch of EOD, you know, Marine EOD techs here. When they have this liaison guy, as soon as they come out of ICU, he asks them how they're feeling. If they say fine. He hands him a razor and tell him, tells him to get back at rigs. The army doesn't have a liaison. It's driving them crazy. You got to grow your beard out. I couldn't help it. I didn't want to laugh. I didn't feel like laughing, but I had to. Right. So right. I had the support, and you know what? It, it was just a little catalyst moments, and then I started yeah. thinking less about myself. I was I was thinking about me, and I was thinking about and I started thinking about my mom. I started thinking about Kyle. I started thinking about all those warriors that were facing their own battles up and down those halls. They were they were, they were in their own personal fights. I don't have a monopoly on pain. And when I stopped thinking about me, and started thinking about them and how they were fighting, who was I to quit? Who was I about mm-hmm. saying I have a I have a good enough excuse to give up? I don't. So I decided uh, if I was gonna if I was gonna be blind for the rest of my life, I was gonna be the best damn blind Aaron Hale I could be. Wow! And 
I decided I was going to get to work. I was going to learn how to do it. And I stopped saying, I can't, and started asking, how can I? Mm-hmm. And I stopped saying, why did this happen to me? And I started asking, why is this happening for me? Mm, that's what so can I powerful. learn from experience? Man, that's that's one of the mm-hmm. I, I've I've always loved that saying, and I think it's one of the more powerful reframes that we can use to to look at something that has happened in our life. Not not why did it happen to me, but why did it happen for me? Now, mm-hmm. your I, I imagine your physical rehab after that was fairly <laughs> intense. What did that look like, and how did you stay motivated through it? You know, uh, the rehab was a lot different for for me than others. Walter Reed isn't really equipped for blindness. So once they had me stabilized, right, healthy enough, you know, just missing some eyeballs. Uh, once they took care of the blast, the burns and scars and stuff like that, they didn't have anything more for me. I went to uh, this the the, the it was a spinal cord brain injury uh, center at the VA hospital in Tampa Bay, um, and, and there a neuropsych um, doctor did a test on me to see do the brain functioning, and a lot of it is visually based. But he asked me as many questions as he possibly could. And he said, I came back a couple of days later, he goes, you scored a 90, 96 percentile for general knowledge, 96 percentile for, uh, shoot, what was it? You know, now I'm going to forget. But, and, you, um, and a 99th percentile for memory. And he said, I'm pretty sure I can get you out of here in the next couple of days. I said, wait a second, I can do better. <laughs> this is the, the EOD competition in me. Like, I said, I can do it. I can do better. Let me get it. You know, but uh, after that, they just they, they sent me to uh, Augusta and the VA hospital there where uh, I would they have one of the, I think it's 14 uh, blind rehabilitation centers around the country. So I went to blind blind school and I started learning how to use the cane, uh, you know, the voiceover, you know, accessible computers and phones and that kind of stuff, basic daily living skills. You wouldn't believe uh, how frustrating it is to just pair your socks if you don't know the, the oh. trick. Uh, <laughs> uh, <it was laughs> cooking and grooming stuff. So... <laughs> um, that took about five, six months. And that was, while that was going on, it started the bed board. And they asked me where I was going to, where I wanted to retire. And I still kind of had, I still had a bit of a chip on my shoulder. And I'd learned about uh, uh, soldiers like uh, Captain Scott Smiley, Ivan Castro. These guys were blind and still active duty. Uh, and I said, when they asked me where I want to retire, I said, I don't want to. Uh, obviously, obviously, um, you, you can't even be colorblind and do an active EOD role. Uh, so I wouldn't be getting in a bomb suit again anytime soon. 
But I told him, um, send me to the schoolhouse. I'll instruct. And that's what I did. Wow. And, and then where along the line did you get the meningitis and lose your hearing? Because, I mean, you're losing your eye, your vision and your eyes quite literally. Yeah. That's, that's a tough yeah. transition in and of itself. But where well, along the line did you lose your hearing? Well, the, the, the bomb blast, the blindness happened in 2011. Right. And this, in, by 2012, I was out of the hospital, more or less, and still some treatments. Oh, a couple of treatments were, one was um, taking, it was, it's called an encephalocele. It's, it's a, you take the, a piece of the septum and patch the crack in my skull. And apparently... Uh, it wasn't completely patched. Mm. So for four years, I was making a pretty good go of this uh, blindness thing. I was I was instructing for for the first year and a half or so, and then I, I didn't have anything more to prove. Mostly to myself, I could do it, uh, but I was too close. I was too still too close. I couldn't. Um, really fully move on uh, while still being at the schoolhouse. Uh, so I decided to take my retirement. I was also speaking across the country. I was whitewater kayaking, climbing mountains. I joined a, a, a whole it was a wounded veteran team of a 19,000-foot summit in the Peruvian Andes. Uh, I was running marathons, and uh, I was... I thought I was doing okay as a blind person. Um, <laughs> then, uh, summer of 2015, I was just uh, just talking to my my girlfriend, brand new you know, relationship, uh, and over the phone, and I was feeling very out of fatigued tired uh, and, and very dizzy it was very it was super strange it was like vertigo where all of a sudden i had that that feeling of when you you're trying to balance on the back two legs of a chair and you're not quite sure if you're going forward or backwards and i was just waiting for the earth to come up and hit me at some side one part of my head but and then it would pass i'm still standing Maybe I should lay down and it's, lay down for a nap. <clears throat> and I woke up to the most uh, excruciating pain. It was like migraine doesn't do it justice. And wow. I had to call 911. It was that bad. It's kind of funny when the operator asked what the urgency was. I said, I have a pretty bad headache. <laughs> and to her credit, she said, uh, on a scale of one to ten, how bad is the pain? And I said, "Ma'am, I've never felt a pain like this in my life, and I've literally been blown up before." So, <laughs> she said, "You know, is all this way." Well, I laid back down, and next thing I know, it's like four days later. I hadn't been lucid. The meningitis had, had really done a number on me. It was trying to kill me from my brain out, and uh, in the process. The, you know, they, they, 
during the fight with the, the, the bacteria, it stole what was left of my hearing that the blast uh-huh. hadn't taken. It also, with, with, the, with the hearing loss, it also had its own bonus gift of uh, taking my vestibular balance, that inner ear balance. Oh, shit. <laughs> so I, uh, I came home in a wheelchair. I thank goodness for those uh, handicap railings on the um, uh, in the the, 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 the bathroom uh, in the hospital because I would have fallen right off the toilet. Yeah. Uh, so I came home and I was middle of the night. I was I was dreaming of falling and I would leap out of bed. Uh, so I mean, uh, again, there I was. Not to do that, and and maybe it's that sardonic kind of humor of mine. But I was just imagining the last four years of me speaking and talking to people about success because of struggle Mm -hmm. and triumph through tragedy, not despite it. Right, and it was some the the you know the mighty you know, fate, uh, God, whatever you want to call it, was saying, oh, yeah, put your money where your mouth is, do it again. And me thinking, jerk. <laughs> but, <laughs> I mean, you remember the, the time, uh, it wasn't that long ago, COVID, and it seems like forever yeah. ago. And everybody was isolated. Everybody was was uh, quarantined. It was talking about how uh, frustrating it was. And I was going through that period thinking, this is nothing. Oh, uh, sure. I, can you, you imagine not being able to see anything or hear anything whatsoever? Not even the crunch of a nacho chip in your, in, like that jawbone conduction. It was completely silent. It's extremely lonely and very frustrating. Uh, then, Aaron, how do you how do you go on with the, these impediments? I mean, you're blind; you can't hear. Uh, how do you go on to, you know? run bad waters and finish a 135 mile race, which is like the most intense ultra marathon in the world. I mean, you said whitewater rafting, which blows my mind. Uh, and like, how do you, like, I mean, do you need a lot of help with this or, you know, is someone running with you? Is someone kayak next to you? Or are they, you know, are you just piggybacking Uh, with them? Like, you know, how do you go on to, you know, accomplish these incredible feats? Everything after going blind became a team sport, and that was one of the, okay. one of the additional components of the, the, my resilience was the social aspect. I, it, the, and this is true of we're, we're social creatures. We have to be around people. We need that uh, you know confirmation of um, of meaning uh, of connection with others and the, the, our lives have significance and we need others to grant significance, right? If we have nobody to be significant for and is our life is significant, 
and so we can we can achieve uh i believe the, the highest order of achievement is that contribution to the rest of the world and one added it's 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 two sides of a coin i was embarrassed to ask for help but people also need to do help they need they want to help because they feel good sure and i i started running um with with you know for all these things with mountain climbing for uh kayaking with with skiing uh which is hilarious uh <laughs> um and and running it all uh, use guides we all find these ways to make it accessible and um, for for running as a guy, you know, the sighted guide, they just run side by side with me. We use a little tether, a little piece of nylon, like a backpack strap. I've got one that's just two loops, and I, you know, get about three fingers in one loop. My guide has the other loop, and we run side by side. And I get all the cues I need from uh, from that little tether. Wherever that goes, I go, and we can talk if we want. But I've run, run with somebody for, for hours in total silence and been totally content. And the same with, uh, with kayaking. Somebody would be in another boat ahead of me and just be shouting out commands, right, on me, on me. And I would follow the sound. Left paddle, right paddle, right paddle, stop. And... <laughs> and, and I, well, the, 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 I Aaron, if I may, if I may, one sec, the, the tremendous amount of courage that it must take to like, I mean, so running is one thing you can stop, you know, feel the earth underneath you. Right. Uh, you know, or, or something else, but to go down like, like whitewater rapids right? <laughs> that you're at the mercy of the water. Like what, like, what, like the, the courage, like what is, what is, what's that like inner game, if you will, like what, what happens in that space? Yeah. And trust, like what, can you just dive into like courage and trust with being blind, you know, uh, not being able to hear and then doing extraordinary things. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm right now I'm imagining the pucker factor, uh, <laughs> when I, I could hear the rapids approaching, right. Uh, but it's a team thing. Again, I have to trust in my guides. If you think about it, skiing down a mountain, climbing up one, you're going over crevasses on a glacier, running on a road without looking where you're going. You really have to have a lot of trust in your team. And... That's that's one of the things that uh, you know. Of course, definitely the military training. I had to trust my team with my life, and yeah. And then and then it comes with you know practice. I I was about eighty miles into bad water. I'd already run out of Death Valley, over one mountain range. And I was on this, it's, it's like the crucible of uh, bad water. It's called Father Crawley. And it's this 4,000 foot climb. And it's only 80 miles into the I mean, 135 mile race. 
And it's these switchbacks on this road. And also, by the way, two days before even starting the race, we had to come up with an entirely new method for guidance because we couldn't run side by side. It had to be single file the whole way. Uh, So we're using a a brand new method. We're running in 125 degree heat up 4,000 feet on these switchbacks after 80 miles already. And what was, what was that? It was like a day and a half already. And also these switchbacks, as you turn the corner, they do that race tracking thing where it tilts in. So it only had about a a foot and a half between the white line and dirt, right? And either way, one, I will trip and roll. The other way, I'm going to like meet the grill of an oncoming Jeep, right? Uh, so imagine not being able to see and, and I, I had to trust my team and I was so exhausted and I'll tell you, I've developed now the, the willpower. I will run until the bottoms of my feet come off and I will run until my, my veins pump blood battery acid <laughs> but i uh i was terrified because my balance the more fatigued i get the less balance i have so running a flat straight line no big deal but those components there the the grab gravity was trying to pull me into the road and I didn't have my guide by my side where I could just like grab his elbow or something. I was, I was, it was all on my own. And I was so terrified at, uh, it, it was when those voices came back in my head, you're not good enough. This Boy. is too hard. This is, this is too much. You can't handle this. And I needed to, I needed to ask my team. I, I had to stop, and I said, "This is what I'm. This is what I'm going through right now. I can pump my legs up and down, but I cannot control where they land, and it scares the heck out of me. And that's that's not that's a rare feeling for for me nowadays. I like fear. I I like to face into it. Fear is just it's it's like a a warning for for discomfort most of the time and that just means that it's an opportunity for growth and learning here Mm -hmm. it was an effort my fear was telling me it was an opportunity for uh, being squished uh and that's why my 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 crew my team my my coach my guides they all came together we huddled up and they reminded me that i wasn't alone Mm -hmm. i wasn't I wasn't alone. And part of their job isn't just to keep me hydrated and keep me with, you know, full of calories, keep me cool and point me in the right direction. They were there for my safety. Mm-hmm. So I can feel the fear and I, but I have to trust in, you know, who, I, you know, I've selected as, you know, the people, my, my, my circle, and then, of course, I gotta, I gotta find I have a great circle. Indeed, and and then 
when you stopped and you told them that, how did that feel to you, like admitting that you were having a, a, an additional challenge, right? Yes, they know you're deaf. Yes, they know you're blind. But now you're, you're admitting that you have a fear. How did that feel to you to admit that you were scared as, as a man, as a former EOD technician? Like, how did that feel? Well, I mean, it's, it's one of the most, that's, was one of the most difficult things of that whole race mm-hmm. was to be able to say, I'm scared. Uh, the, the physical part, it, it, uh, your standard marathon, 26.2, you know, the joke is after 20 miles, you're halfway there. Right. And, and, and the meaning being that the first 20 miles is the physical part. The other half is the mental part. Mm-hmm. You go through that numerous times in an ultra, and that's why we—that's why I do it. That's why a lot of us do it, so we can test ourselves. Mm-hmm. And you know, most of the time, when that voice comes into my head and says, "You can't do this. You're not strong enough. You haven't prepared." You know, all those things. I, I take a moment and breathe and, and, and I smile and say, there you are. Nice. I've been, I've been waiting for you. I love that. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, I'm, w- I'm wondering, um, Aaron, like if you can give us maybe some tips or advice as like, you know, what it, like what it really takes to develop trust. Like it, it just in such a, deep state of trust you must be in like are there like steps or things you need to do in particular to really establish that trust feel that trust give that trust receive that trust uh for anything it it comes with there's a a great book uh the like switch like switch the like switch Got it. And it's just about gaining gaining trust with somebody. It was it was actually I think an FBI and uh, or um, it was like a spy recruiter or something. But you know, but it it comes with um, proximity. It comes with uh, repetition um, and intensity, right? That uh, so the more you're around somebody, you. Mm-hmm. And you know, the, the closer you are in proximity, right? And, and of course, whatever the activity you're doing, the intensity of it. So, so my, one of my guides, Dave, is a, is a friend, is a, uh, also a, a retired Army Ranger. And he and I run weekly. So he knows me. He knows my running styles. He knows my, my abilities. Um, and I know his. My coach was my crew crew leader for the race, and she's been coaching me for I think nine years now. Um, and the the and she actually picked the other two uh, crew members, one of which uh, <laughs> invented trail toes. Is a uh, so I mean, and the other the other one had just a few months earlier completed Marathon de Saab, uh, which is 
the one of the other races that claims to be the world's toughest foot race. <laughs> And it's across you know, the the Sahara, Morocco. So Jeez. these people know what they're doing. And when I stopped and we did a huddle, and I said, I, "I fear for my safety," they said. They also said, "Everybody goes to that, right?" Oh wow! This is you, you know we're here. That's why you have a crew, right? And so I uh, I had to. I had to remember that I was part of a team and that I had to, they helped me put my mind back in that mindset and back in perspective. I reframe the situation because I was just thinking about me again. And it wasn't, it wasn't me getting up that mountain. It was we. <clears throat> the, just kind of switching gears from the endurance sports and the, and the trust piece you've talked about it wasn't me it was we and you've talked about the the value of having your your friends your coaches your your mother around it it seems as though you know community is a big piece of your healing process but also storytelling and and you are a you are a motivational speaker how has how has storytelling or sharing your story uh, affected you personally, and what do you think is the importance of s- storytelling in anyone's healing process, recovery, whether that's from a physical injury, a mental injury, emotional injury? Of course, it it did me uh, uh, yeah, it did me a lot of good to tell my story. It, helped me put words to the feelings and the experiences and uh, also so it was cathartic and just just letting it out and sharing with others and also connecting with others but again it was that service thing that was also fulfilling if <laughs> it's funny how uh so many things that stick in my head. I maybe I probably read from a meme somewhere. But <laughs> uh, there was this statement. I don't know where it came from, but uh, it said, um, "Someday the story of your struggle might be the blueprint for someone else's survival." Oh man! So with that in my mind, I want to tell a story whatever platform I can, as many to as many people as I can, because it might be what somebody else needs to hear. Just like the experience of my crew, what they they had to say in that moment, I, I needed to hear it. Um, so yeah, we, we do. We, we we in difficult times we tend to isolate ourselves. And that's the worst thing you can do. In times of fear or anger. It's, we're thinking about ourselves. When, when we when we connect with others, it makes the hardship, you know, easier. You know, easier to carry that burden, lighter. And if I can tell my story, lighten somebody else's burden by by connecting with them, sharing how, you know, I might not have all, all the answers. I definitely don't. But maybe a little bit of perspective will help them on the right path. 
like their way. Beautiful. Yeah. Indeed. Um, uh, yeah. Where do you want to go next, John? Uh, we have stuff yeah. here about yeah. future aspirations. Like I definitely want to you know, have them address our audience, you know, uh, yeah, about sure. maybe struggles they're having, having. So I'll let you go next. Yeah. Um, let's, let's talk about, you know, for, for you personally, what, what are your future aspirations? What are you currently working on? What are you, what, what are the goals, the, the next hard thing that you're working on? <laughs> the new EOD. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, uh, I love telling the story and I'm traveling around and telling that. So I want to continue doing that. Uh, did start a fudge company, which was, an interesting challenge. Actually, we didn't talk about that, but yeah, we're gonna uh, get that, was, that, that was born out of culinary therapy, right? Just like oh, the wow. wine. So uh, I love food and I knew I could cook. So I, uh, again, it was like a Thanksgiving thing, miracle. Uh, mm-hmm. I started cooking and I was doing it for others, but it was, it was a way to take my mind off of what was going on at the time and um that turned into a business and that's that's eod fudge right for extraordinary fudge extraordinary delights or eod fudge oh that's what all right on all right i'm ordering some of that right after this man i'm a huge we also have some really really badass uh aprons Mm -hmm. a badass apron (laughs) i I use an apron i use an apron i do every time i cook (laughs) but um speaking of the COVID thing we actually started a tiktok uh when we had nothing better to do right we did a daily cooking show called aaron hales cook without looking Uh, (laughs) well done well great (laughs) when um real life started back up Uh, i didn't have a whole lot of time to didn't produce whole cooking shows so we do maybe one a week now at home but uh my wife became a real estate agent um we started investing in real estate so got this whole growing portfolio uh, so I love connecting with with lenders and agents and dealers and brokers, lenders, everybody, uh, and just hunting for the next deal. And that's that's a challenge and, and, and a joy on its own. And my coach just asked me if I wanted to go run that marathon to Saab, which is like a five day stage race in Morocco Boy. next next April. What did you I say? Answer, I haven't answered her yet. <laughs> <laughs> man wow. no that sounds hot yeah. <laughs> incredible sounds hot and you, you, you got to get your team on board to make that happen like it's just like, it's a we it's a we uh you know function <laughs> uh, why would i want to go to morocco i got a garage in florida <laughs> <laughs> there you go there you go all right and then let's see uh, I'm glad you. I'm glad you talked about the culinary piece because that was one of my questions as far as what the culinary. How did that get reignited, and how was that culinary experience part of your therapy? So I'm glad you went there. Um, yeah, I've I've got you know one more question, kind of as a closing question. I don't know if if you got anything else before I ask that. Will I do? Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, I guess. Uh, I mean, I, I think it's so important for our audience to hear. Um, uh, you know, so if there's someone out there that's 
you know, that struggling, um, you know, with self-doubt or, um, you know, negative self-talk and, you know, keeps, you know, re, you know, reaffirming, I, I can't, I can't, I can't. And they have, they're full, they can see, they can hear, they can walk, they're fully functioning. Like, what would you say to someone like that that's going through those struggles right now? Of course, the, the, I guess the big theme of today's talk was about connecting with others. Um, when I was tr trying to figure out how to do this blind thing, I didn't, I'm not blazing any new trails. I'm not the first blind guy to go kayaking or blind, blind guy to climb a mountain. I, as soon as I could learn how, learned how to use the internet, like my phone and all that, I was doing internet searches for blind plus this, blind plus that. And a few names kept popping up. Like Eric Weinmayer is the first blind person to climb Mount, uh, Mount Everest. And um, he organized the... Uh, the wounded veteran trip to Peru. So um, I sought him out and I, and I went mountain climbing with him. Uh, Lonnie Bedwell, another Navy guy, uh, is the first blind person to kayak the entire Grand Canyon. Jeez. So I sought him out. I went kayaking with him. And I'm not doing anything. Uh, Ivan Castro is a, uh, an Army Ranger. I was on a phone call with him, uh, and he's 100% blind. And he said, I make, make, I've had the conversation in 2014, right? Um, and he said, I make it a point every year to run the Air Force Marathon, the Army 10 Miler, and the Marine Corps Marathon. And I thought, that's really cool. That's patriotic. I think I'll do that too. <laughs> so I signed up for them. So I said, register for those three races. And then I got talked into a local race. So did the, you know, register for the Pensacola Marathon. And then somebody reached out from a nonprofit or something and said, what if we paid your, all your rich, all your way, your travel and everything to, to come run the San Antonio Marathon uh, for us? I'm like, sure, why not? So I was registered for four marathons and the Army 10 miler within the span of four months. And I'd never run anything longer than a 10K in my life. Wow. That's nuts, man. Wow. You so, are thanks well, it's inspiration. Just, Sorry, that was yeah, it's just, I mean, it's just like, <laughs> no, no, it's, I mean, if, if I may, it's like, it's like getting out of your way, getting out of your head, connecting to other people. Like that's really the secret sauce for so much of this to remind us that we're human beings. We're all having a human experience. We're all struggling or suffering in some way, but that doesn't mean it has to crush us. And we connect like you're mentioning to other people develop that trust like you had mentioned as well that like we just become more extraordinary than we are like our light can uh you know our candle our torch can burn so much brighter when we have someone else with us so thanks for sharing this this is i mean it's so incredible aaron yeah plus i'm um apparently very suggestible <laughs> you know, yeah, right. yeah all those when, races when I, when you I have <laughs> I get it, man. I get that. Well, Aaron, um, I, I, one, I, I want to thank you for coming on here. Uh, I want to thank you for sharing what you've shared. I want to thank you for inspiring so many in you know our audience today, but in everything else that you do regularly. And I also want to thank you for your service, you know, from one service member to to another. 
And then for for our audience who's listening, I know this is going to be aired tomorrow, which is November 8th, and we've got Veterans Day coming up. Uh, we want to you know give a shout out to our veterans who are, uh, you know, we owe our our freedom and our rights and and so much else to to those who have served. So thank you for your your service, Aaron, and thank you for uh, the, your service to those who are veterans out there who are listening. Um, that said, I'm going to turn it over to Will to kind of wrap it up with maybe any closing questions and then a closing practice before we say goodbye. Uh, well, I mean. I'm the one who should be thanking you guys because you're both are veterans. I'm not. So I want to say thank you uh, to both of you and all the veterans that are listening out there and everyone that served our country. I thank you. Thank you. Thank you uh, for keeping the freedom. And uh, uh, I don't really have anything else, uh, um, you know, for, for Aaron. Uh, I just like I thank you so much for sharing this incredible, inspiring uh, message and story. And, you know, you, you really can if you surround yourself by the right people, put yourself in the right mindset, get out of your own way. Like you truly can overcome and adapt uh, to anything. Uh, and it's just, it's great to hear that uh, a message from someone that, you know, you could be packing it in and, and, and playing the victim forever, being blind, being, you know, uh, being deaf, but uh, you've have continually triumph and I'm excited to see, and maybe we'll have you back in a few years to see, you know, what you're up to next, because you just, you seem like you just don't stop. And, uh, <laughs> it's really, it's such an inspiration to have someone like you speak with us today, also connect with us. Um, and, uh, you know, and our audience to hear from, uh, such, from such an, an incredibly inspirational person. So thank you, Aaron. Any, cl- any closing comments for, uh, from you, Aaron? Yeah, well, thank you, gentlemen, for having me on, uh, and uh, John, for your service, and both of you for for putting out such incredible content. Uh, I'm uh, a fan as well, uh, so I really do love the uh, the show. And in um, light of you know, Veterans Day coming up, I actually am on my flying out to Texas to uh, join. Band of Runners, a uh, veterans organization, a running organization, uh, speaking and and running with them. So, nice. Uh, yeah. and by the way, when it said, you know, like I'm always, you said, when you mentioned about me being in motion, um, it's when I slow down, you know, I start to feel the wheels come off. So, uh, you know, like a you know, SR71 that's sitting on the tarmac just making, <laughs> you know, uh, I'm not in any way like a SR-71 except that if I stop moving I just things start falling apart but um, thank you gentlemen for having me on and allowing me to share my story right on Aaron Uh, it's been a pleasure and an honor and and I just gotta tell you uh, a little funny story about the SR-71 and running funny enough I ran (laughs) track and cross country in high school um, and my coach, who was a fantastic runner and inspired us all to, to do better, his dad used to work on the SR-71 Blackbird. Uh, so a funny connection there between the SR-71 and running. And funny you should mention that. But hey, Will, you want to uh, take us home with that final closing yeah. practice, brother? Yeah, let's just take a few parachute breaths, everybody. We're just going to do three of these. Uh, it's a nice kind of swift, big inhale and a very long, uh, exaggerated exhale. Uh, and let's just jump right in. Maybe close the eyes if you like. 
and exhale out. Really get empty, hit the bottom, feel that emptiness and take that first inhale. And then very slowly out. Easy, easy, keep going, keep going, keep going. Great, two more in. Exhale, feel yourself melting, surrendering, kind of grounding and centering a little bit deeper. And then one more in. And gently let it go. Just take just a a couple seconds here and just notice if that's changed anything in your experience. Like that's why we do this breathing and that's why we plug it into the show. So you can have a reference point of like, oh yeah, breathing really does make a difference uh, to my mind and how I'm feeling and what I'm doing. And and, uh, thank you everybody for listening. Thank the both, you know, John, love you. Aaron, my God, big fan. I mean, thank you. Thank you for everything you're doing and putting everything in the world that you're, um, and continually inspiring more and more people. Um, and I think that's it guys. Yeah. Aaron, what, when can we expect a book? Oh, we already have one. Out. Oh yeah. Yeah. What could you plug? <laughs> do, you, do you have a book out? I do not have a book. Oh I've man. Got a I've got a website. Right on, man. Well, I'll tell you what, if you ever write that book, I'm going to be one of the first to purchase it because uh, yeah. I, I am inspired by your story. And uh, I know I'm one of many, many. So keep doing what you're doing, brother. Thanks again for being here on the show. And for our listeners. Well, what's, what, what's the website? What's the website? Oh, yeah, what's of the course. What's the website? What's the website? That's yeah, okay. Got, that's why we have each other, John. We trust, right? We, <laughs> you know, so what's the website? What's the TikTok there, Aaron? <laughs> I didn't think you were going to leave me hanging. Um, no, no, no way. No. John would. I always cover his ass, you know, just like he covers my ass. Right? We got you, Aaron. That's right. Uh, the website, of course, eodfudge.com. Um, order early and order often for the holidays. <laughs> and you can uh, catch me on my show, Point of Impact. There you go. On all the major uh, platforms. For sure, man. And and Will and I are going to be on there uh, sometime soon. So we look forward to another conversation oh, yes. with you yeah, exactly. uh, soon, Aaron. So yeah. thanks again. And we'll make sure those those uh, are in the show notes for our listeners to, to follow you there on the on the EOD Fudge and uh, and your podcast. And we'll also make sure that your uh, your TikTok is shared as well. So we want to what is it, Aaron cooking without looking? Uh, something, something to that effect. So we'll check that out, man. So thanks again, brother. And, uh, for our, for our listeners, if you got something out of this show, which I know you did share it, share it far, share it wide, follow us on all the different social media platforms and help to grow the show. Not just because Will and I want to be influencers, not at all. We want to get, we want to get men talking mindfulness out there because of the message that we share and guests like Aaron and the messages that they share, get those messages out there. So thank you all for tuning in and thank you for helping to grow the show until next time. Take care. Peace. Thanks everybody. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you walk away with some new tools and insights to guide you on your life journey. New episodes are being published every week, so please join us again for some meaningful discussion. For more information, please check out mentalkingmindfulness.com.